Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch and joining me to uh, unpack your stock-related questions this evening are Greg Katzen-Lelen-Bogan from Sunlum Private Wealth and Devin Shoot from the Robay Group. Uh, please be sure to send those questions. Uh, please, because right now we just have one question. <laughs> so please be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. So while we wait for those questions to come in, let's actually talk about uh, what has been happening in the markets of course we are wrapping up the uh, month of june uh, the second quarter and the first half of the year I, I am quite surprised about what we are seeing in the markets today the positive sentiment because i think we have largely been in a market where when good economic uh, news comes out uh, the markets perceive it as bad news uh, looking at what the fed could do with such a strong economy in the U.S. and vice versa. And actually today we have seen the gains continuing in the U.S. markets and also on the JSC, quite a volatile session there. Um, so I just wanted to start off with you, Greg. What are you making of uh, the sentiment in the markets right now? What's driving that sentiment? Yeah, and why are they in the green today? Well, look, I'm um, in the market really, in our market could you know just crawled into the green except for the resources that was up quite quite nicely but uh, the u.s market was up nicely or the dow um and that's despite the fact that uh, they're expecting another one or two interest rate hikes maybe july and then september and given the fact that the uh, the chinese economy has been somewhat in the doldrums but i think the, the important thing is that the data that came out of the U.S. today indicating that the U.S. economy is still very strong. And, you know, so many people have been forecasting a U.S. recession this year. And based on this type of data, it doesn't look uh, that you're going to have a recession in the U.S. And if it does happen, it might only be in 2024. So the U.S. economy is um, very, very strong. And, of course, that um because they're expecting higher interest rates it sent the dollar much higher and um i think in the market uh, you know thinks that because there's this uh, divergence between the us and the other parts of the world especially japan where they're not willing to raise interest rates and uh but i think it's just the strength of the u.s economy that has brought some buyers into the u.s market yeah i mean listen not that the fed should manufacture a recession but i mean my question is are we not going to need at least a slight recession um to 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 bring down inflation further from where it is now to that two percent target um does the strong uh, u.s economy not signal that it's actually going to be a hard road to bring that inflation down to two percent uh Devin? yeah look inf inflation is sticky and it could remain somewhat it's very unlikely they'll get to the two percent uh inflation target this year or even yeah. even next year but uh, you have to be careful what you wish for for years the you know the u.s federal reserve was behind the curve saying that infl inflation was transitory and then we know what happened so they wanted to create a little bit of inflation but unfortunately that genie was out of the bottle and decided otherwise so to say whether you engineer just a gentle recession um unfortunately it doesn't work like that um and they could uh, you know send the u.s economy in, into a sharp decline so i would still go with the fact that while the u.s economy is doing well that you can hope that 
over time that they'll manage to bring inflation under control. But it will take longer because it is quite sticky at the moment. Yeah. Devin, what do you make of all these dynamics in the markets right now? And actually, what are the markets following right now? Look, I think it's mostly central banks. Um, you know, whether that's a good or bad thing, we, we, we can debate that. But, you know, as, as, as Greg said, they, they're really grappling to, to understand where inflation is going, what the impact on this tighter monetary policy is going to have on economies longer term. You know, monetary policy has variable um, lags to it. And, you know, you, you only realize the, the impact of policy much, much later. So we're in that weird phase of monetary policy where some central banks could have done enough. We're seeing inflation start to moderate, maybe not as fast as some would have liked. And the question now is, do they do a bit more? Do they wait and see if it takes effect? But, you know, what you were saying up front is that it's the, this this most anticipated recession just has failed to materialize. The U.S. economy has been more resilient than I think most expected. The the, the labor market continues to to remain strong. And, you know, while, while that is the case, that, that gives the Fed the ability to raise rates. My sense is that they're talking very tough at the moment. But if you look at their actions, I mean, they, they paused at the, the last meeting. And I think if they see those inflation expectations start to moderate, um, they, they, they may think they've done enough. But they, they're giving themselves the, the option to, to hike another one or two times more. Um, so, so yeah, I guess we're in this environment that's very, very data dependent and, you know, those inflation prints matter more than most. Yeah. Um, well, uh, talking about those markets, of course, we know uh, in the U.S. markets, the, the, the NASDAQ has been firing through the wall, uh, of course, because of this uh, AI craze um, that is anticipated for the, for the tech counters. There's a question here. Uh, can you give your thoughts on the NASDAQ 100 ETF feeder? Would you invest in this fund for the long run? If I look at this chart, it has been up 197.21% in the last five years. Greg? Well, look, you know, if you buy the, the NASDAQ 100, that ETF is called QQQ, and it's done exceptionally well for people. But the, the primary um, it's engine of growth in there is about six or seven stocks, which is your Apple, your Alphabet, uh, and um, of course, NVIDIA, the, the semiconductor stocks. Now, these stocks are they very, very expensive in terms of valuation. So whether to buy from its low, if you had bought, you know, the NASDAQ uh, only six or eight months ago, you would have done very well. But to go in and buy it now, you're assuming that these prices are going to continue to run hard like that. I mean, Microsoft, NVIDIA, um, to a lesser extent, Alphabet, but Apple at an all-time high. Um, one has to be careful now. Timing is everything in the investment markets. And my view is that uh, these valuations are extremely stretched. Yeah, even so, I, I was reading an article was it yesterday that uh, the, the NASDAQ um, will have its best quarter or best half, I can't remember, in 40 years. I, I mean, that really says something about how hard these uh, stocks have run. Um, Devin, would you be going into it now? Would you be waiting? Uh, yeah, if you're going into it now, would that signal that you still think there's significant upside? Look, I think if I have to take a step back, I think you've got to be cautious when, whenever you're looking at the, these more concentrated or thematic plays. You know, in this case, you're buying a, a tech-heavy index. 
And exactly as Greg said, you, you've got a few, a handful of heavyweight shares that have really done almost all the, the lifting on that index this year. I mean, if you look below that, the, the rest have, have, have virtually contributed nothing to positive performance. So I think you've got to be very cautious there. Um, and, you know, you've got, got to have a view on what all those other shares are doing. So, you know, for, for us, we, we think kind of more broader exposure is advisable. Something like the S&P 500 gives you exposure to not only tech, but other sectors. And we're starting to look even below that now. Um, you know, the mid-cap space in, in the U.S., you know, they call it mid-caps, but those are still enormous companies by South African standards. Um, th those companies are trading at much more attractive valuations, um, haven't been given the benefit of the doubt by the market yet. So, so we're looking to get exposure to those companies through indices like the Russell 2000, um, but but I think yeah don't 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 rush in and buy the, these heavy cap counters that have really really had a, as you said a phenomenal quarter so far. Yeah, all right. Well, let's go into resources. Uh, quite an interesting one here. How does Rio Tinto and Atto Fagasta Anto Fagasta? I hope I'm saying it right. Anto Fagasta compare with the mining conglomerates listed on the JSE, Greg. Well, they, they compare very well. They're both um, massive companies. Rio Tinto is probably the cheapest producer of iron ore in the world. Antofagasta, um, you know, is a very big uh, copper player, but uh, Devon will talk more about Antofagasta later. But these, when you say compare, you know, we have BHP listed on our stock exchange, but they have no businesses in South Africa. They're global operations. So they, they compare well, but so do our um, locally listed mining giants uh, compare very well to these companies. But obviously, if you want exposure to Rio or Antofagasta, you have to buy them on a foreign exchange, not through uh, the JSE. Yeah. Um, Devin, I know that you uh, have chosen Antofagasta as your stock pick for today. Of course, you'll talk about that later. But just compared to the, um, the, the, the miners on the JSE picking Antofagasta, does that mean that you're completely ignoring the JSE mining stocks or is this a better option at this time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, that that's a specific play on on copper, which which I'll unpack. Um, you know, the question about Rio Tinto. I mean, it's a um, it it is a qualified uh, quality diversified miner. I, th I think all, almost the resource companies across the board have been having a really tough time at the moment with softer commodity prices. And and I think the the issue in the current environment for for resource companies and why you have to look very carefully at what you're investing in is that in an inflationary environment their cost bases are generally moving higher quite quickly and um, you've also got raising interest rates so if they're sitting with debt on the balance sheet those finance charges are, are also rising quite quickly and then if you've got commodity prices that are falling that that really puts the squeeze on them from a profitability perspective. So, you know, if, if you look at the likes of iron ore where the price has you know, really come off substantially, that, that that's clearly going to hurt a, a company like Rio, mm. um, but along with many of the other diversified miners. Yeah, all right. And there's actually a specific one on Anglo-American Platinum, uh, one of the platinum stocks that has been severely beaten down from the high, from the uh, swing highs, uh, minus 62%. It's currently working on its third leg down. What are your thoughts? Is it at the low or can we expect even lower prices? So, Amplats, Greg? 
So, well, look, you know, my stock pick tonight will be Impala Platinum, but I like the whole PGM space and Anglo. What has really impacted companies like Impala and Northern and Amplats is the fact that the from its, you know, in February, March 22, um, the basket of uh, PGM uh, metals and minerals uh, has fallen from a, about 45%. So that has impacted the, obviously, their earnings. And, but the problem is that um, these equities have fallen faster than the underlying metals. And in fact, the equities are implying that they're discounting at, at least uh, metals prices about 30% lower than spot prices, which is, is unsustainable in my view. And also equities have come down further because of the load shedding and uh, that was going to have a, a very big impact. As you start to see um, load shedding start to ease, as we have seen recently, that could certainly uh, change the, um, the mindset about these PGM miners. But basically it has been um, the fact that the basket of uh, metals that they sell the price has fallen about 45 percent from its from its high and but of course these share prices have fallen much more than that uh, and i think um you only need a turnaround in the that if the metals prices start stabilizing that will be bullish for these uh, platinum counters yeah uh, what are you making um uh, uh on that devon do you think that we've reached a bottom are the are these are these share prices just too cheap at this point, particularly with with Amplats? Look, I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, as, as Greg said, the in, investing in these resource companies is really a geared play on the, on the underlying commodity prices, right? And and platinum has had a pretty pretty swift uh, sell off. So so I guess if you're calling a bottom, you you'd you'd have to have the view that that platinum is near the bottom. I, I, I'm not too sure on that, but it, you're, you're definitely getting it at, at much better levels than it has been. Um, you know, Greg also mentioned the load shedding, which, which has been a, a clear problem. Um, we, we like the platinum miners. We, we like the um, industrial applications to the, the PGM basket, and, and we think there's a nice demand underpin to them, um, you know, over just being precious metals. So, yeah, one, one we're looking at, but yeah, I'm, I'm not brave enough to call a bottom. <laughs> All right. Well, are you brave enough to call a bottom on transaction capital? Uh, there's a question here on transaction capital. Um, Greg, uh, yeah, your thoughts on transaction capital, if you think that it has reached a bottom, uh, very polarizing stock. Um, where are you at on, on that? So it's very difficult to see, say if it has reached a bottom. It's not a stock that I follow very closely, but obviously what has happened to the company, I have uh, read what most people have read about the problems in SA Taxi. It seems the other businesses we buy cars obviously suffering because the consumer is under the whip at the moment in South Africa. And um, But they recently announced a deal whereby they're going to also, um, you know, they get finance from a bank, so they'll be a loan originator on selling their cars and cars that are older than five years, which generally is difficult to get fi uh, finance on. So that could be um, good for them. But uh, other than that, I have no idea whether this company is at, at the bottom. 
Yeah, and to prove that I'm not I'm not an analyst, I thought that the bottom was reached at seven rand. Uh, Devin <laughs> is now at um, five rand fifty, five rand seventy. Um, yeah, you, where are you on that, uh, Greg? Not seeming to be sure, but uh, maybe there are some positive movements um, that they're doing in order to come back uh, above water. What do you make of transaction capital? Yeah, look. It any, anything's possible here. I mean, I think the, the extent and the brutality of the sell-off has, has surprised many. Uh, I, I mean, the stock is down significantly, you know, over 80% year-to-date, which, which is really tough. Um, there, there are some good businesses. I mean, you know, SA Taxi has got some serious headwinds and, and some structural changes that it's going through there. Um, the, the other businesses are, are looking somewhat better. The, the We Buy Cars acquisition, you could argue they, you know, they, they bought it at the wrong time and overpaid, but you know that's that's understandable, I guess. No, no one can see the future of these things. I, I, I think my worry is on the, the 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 possible financial structure of the business, and you know, if they do need to raise capital and they're, they're not being granted debt from um, banks and such, you know, to to raise equity. At, at these levels is massively value destructive for shareholders. And I think just that concern alone has got the market a bit spooked. Um, so yeah, we have to see how this, this thing plays out. It, it, it was a darling for, for many years, um, but, but I think those, those higher growth prospects definitely have to be tempered even buying at these levels. Yeah, all right. Uh, what do you think of Remgrow? Um, of course, uh, one of the uh, investment holding companies that uh, has seemed to be a self-help company. So obviously they've undergone uh, a lot of strate uh, strategic moves recently. Um, what do you make of what is left of the company, Greg? Yeah, look, it's, I mean, you know, it's going back to its true uh, thing of being, you know, um, a collection of private businesses. They announced that... Um, you know, Mediclinic, the business that they purchased now, um, their earnings were up 15%. So, I mean, this share has risen about, I think, eight days in a row. It's uh, had a pretty good good run. But if you're looking for, you know, when they held other stakes and that, uh, you could, you know, yourself go and buy these stakes. So people want to hold an investment holding company like this that gives you stakes in unlisted businesses. So... It's got very good management, and um, the share price is reflecting that. Yeah. Um, on your side, um, Devon, would you think that Rimgrow is one of the, the winners um, in this investment holding company war? And just also after all the uh, criticism that was given uh, by investors of these investment holding companies? Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's, it's proving to be that. I, I think it's one of the more quality ones. I think the underlying private assets are attractive so i agree with greg there um you know i i, I think that the outlook you, you know you have to take a macro outlook when when buying these businesses because you, you have such a diversified exposure to you know a, a great deal to the south african economy but i think for investors where remgro can play a, a useful role is in portfolio diversification you know you're effectively buying one share in a portfolio that that gives you really um, rich diversification across sectors, um, across listed and, uh, and unlisted entities. And yeah, there's some quality businesses that they own. So yeah, one, one we like, and I, I think market's starting to, to reward it. There.
Ah, all right. Um, yes, I think Rick? also what the market what the market likes about Remgro as well, you know, about thirty three percent of its NAV is in the UK. So, um, and they've they've invested in in you know strong defensive sectors, healthcare and insurance and things like that. So it's mm. often compared to you know South Africa's Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. On a much smaller scale. Uh, uh, well, talking about diversification, okay, I'm not sure uh, how much uh, diversification you can really pinpoint to this, but pick and pay um, after market close yesterday saying that they bought that meat company, Thomas Group, um, of course, saying that it, it will fit into their Ikuseni strategy um, and it will also provide some uh, efficiencies. Um, I don't know, uh, Greg, just sticking with you. How significant is that acquisition? Does it change anything about how you're viewing no. Pick and Pay? No, I don't think it changes anything. It's, you know, they're buying an abattoir and a meat processor and they're paying a total of 340 million rand, which is, is very small in mm. in their uh, terms. Yeah. They're going to pay about 320-odd million up front and then they'll defer about 17 million which they're going to pay in about three years. But uh, <clears throat> it doesn't move the needle, in my view, this deal. Yeah. Um, Devin, also not moving the needle or not? Yeah, I mean, I mean small and pick and pay is life. I, I think pick yeah. and pay, you know, need needs to be looking to do other things. They've they've come under massive pressure. They've lost market share. Their their margins are, are really getting squeezed. And, you know, trying to fight for a, a, a niche in consumers' minds, I would yeah. argue. Um, yeah. So, yeah, look. Food retail really a, a, a tough spot for most. I mean, Spa's got its issues. Um, even the Darling Shoprite is, you know, really, really struggling to to trade water. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, it's it, it's one that 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 looks fairly vulnerable in this environment, in my view. Love what you did there, Devin, talking about trading water, and then Greg just uh, sips some water there. <laughs> it makes for good TV. Uh, let's <laughs> go to your stock picks. Sticking with you, Devin. Uh, of course, you told us that your stock pick is Antofagasta. Why? Yeah, so so this is a Chilean copper miner, um, and and looking at copper itself, you know, when we've had much softer commodity prices globally for a while now, cop copper's really remained flat over the last twelve months, and and the reason for that is a really strong demand for it coming through for um, renewables and electrification of virtually everything. So you know, you've you've got a strong demand underpin there. Um, copper is chronically undersupplied. Uh, a lot of the offtake from Antofagasta goes to China um, and and the, the growth that they're seeing there. Uh, really good capital structure, so you're not going to get into any problems with debt. And yeah, the cost of production, one of the lowest in the market, you know, just over a $1.60. Uh, market price is $3.70 for copper. So yeah, big, big healthy margins. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, clearly resources being the star of the show today. Uh, Greg, you said that Implats is your stock pick for today. Yes, uh, look, the share price has come under enormous pressure recently, like all the other platinum stocks. But <clears throat> as I said, that the the basket of metals that they sell, that is from its high when Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, uh, it's come down about 45%. But at the same time, you've had a much weaker rand, so it should give it some comfort uh, helping the basket when it's converted into rands. The other thing is that um, you might start seeing substitution of palladium for platinum now because uh, platinum uh, platinum trades 
lower than palladium. And um, the other big thing is that uh, in China now is going to soon be, if not already, the biggest maker of electric vehicles. Now, electric vehicles per se have nothing to do with platinum, but you have what they call the plug-in hybrid vehicle that uses fuel cells that use uh, platinum. And they are also part of this package that the Chinese have announced now to give people tax breaks if you buy an EV or a plug-in hybrid model. Plus also uh, there's been a lot of negativity about platinum palladium because uh, diesel cars will be phased out totally in Europe over the next nine, 10 years. And But what you're starting to see now is in India and China, they're starting to bring in tougher emissions tests for diesel vehicles, and that could still give the, plat the PGM complex some uh, benefit. So at these levels, Impala, I think, offers excellent value. All right. Thank you very much uh, for your time and for your analysis today, Jens. Really appreciate it. That's all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Greg Catanellen-Bogan from Sunlam Private Wealth and Devin Shute from the Rebay Group. Mm -hmm.